So imagine that you want to make an ambitious, character-led film set over half a century ago, but no one knows who you are and therefore they won't give you any money. So you decide to make as many adverts and shorts as you can and eventually you have enough money to fund the film yourself. So you go into production using actual working props from the era that the film is set in, managing to keep CGI to a minimum, and you also cast unknown actors and at one point, in a flash of genius, you decide to put a cameraman on a go-kart to get a one-shot that looks and feels different to many other one-shots in cinema, and then you finish the film in 2016 and it spends a year in post-production, and then it's finally finished, and you're pretty happy with it. But then it gets rejected from 18 film festivals and it takes a further three years until 2019 for it to finally premiere at Slamdance where it suddenly takes off and your film gets picked up by Amazon and you have Roger Deakins asking you how you did that thing with the go-kart and then your film starts popping up on lots of people's top 10 film lists of 2020 and then the You Never Forget Your First podcast decides to cover you? Well, that was just some of Andrew Patterson's experience in writing and directing this episode's film, The Vast of Night. I think the title, The Vast of Night, may actually double as a great way of describing the moment before you make a film. Script in hand, with a crew, actors, probably some insane timing schedule and budget, you really do step into the vast of night. You have no idea what you might find, but that may be exactly the reason to do it. You're listening to You Never Forget Your First. Every director's career started somewhere, we find out where. Guys, can you hear this? What is that noise? It don't sound good. Where's that noise coming from, guys? Could be Air Force, could be code. <laughs> this is Louis Loose Lips Lance out on the WOTW. <laughs> <laughs> and that is your intro, Dom. <laughs> we are joined by the OG crew doing their first episode of 2021. So I am your host, Dom. I'm joined by Sparrow. Hello. I'm joined by Benas. Hello. Good to be back. And I'm joined by Louis. Uh-huh. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> In the spirit of the Vast of Night, I have given uh, almost everyone nicknames because, you know, there's a lot of quippy dialogue in that film that I feel we should be <laughs> channeling. In this episode, while we're baking, baking some biscuits, <laughs> baking biscuits, we've got Benass whooping y'all. <laughs> <laughs> We have shoot an arrow sparrow. Howdy. We have dime dropping bombs and self-proclaimed <laughs> Louis Loose Lips Luntz. This is Louis Loose Lips Luntz out on the WATW coming into your earphones as we speak live. That's weird. That's weirdly good. <laughs> Howdy. Who actually does just sound like a DJ. How is everyone doing? Everyone been baking some biscuits? <laughs> <laughs> First biscuit 2021. Yeah, it is. This is our, our first biscuit. Um, you yeah. guys did Sun, Sun, uh, Miss Sunshine? Or was that last year? We haven't lost track of time that much that we can't remember what we did <laughs> as the last episode. Lockdown, <laughs> lockdown feels like fucking infinite now, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Benas, this is your first uh, your first episode of 2021. Yeah, I think my lit film list actually showed that. <laughs> yeah, we need to <laughs> because, never yeah. let Benas miss a podcast again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> His film list is too long. It just accrues. Of your recently watched list, if I had to pick out one thing, I would say American Pie the wedding was just a random oh, yeah. watch in there that's a great film though. <laughs> there's a few there's a few random watches in there but uh that's like a great watch for some reason i don't think i watched it when we did the american pie episode i think i just got up to the second one maybe but i knew it from memory yeah. though, so so but where does that it, come in the american pie literally 
three. Yeah. To throw the Nolan reference in early, you and Sparrow have both watched Interstellar, or Sparrow's watched part of it. Um, that's on your <laughs> list as well. Yeah, that was that was a great watch. Yeah. I, I, Get the Nolan reference in nice and early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just make sure we're there. <laughs> so in my in my odyssey of um, films I should have watched but haven't, I actually watched Saving Private Ryan for the first time a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I probably this should is such have. a great intro for I a prob- film yeah, podcast. Exactly. I probably should have watched it around the time that we did Steven Spielberg, but you know, two years later and I'm there. All it took was a global pandemic to force me inside for three and a half hours <laughs> to watch that thing. Out of all the films that anyone has ever said to me they, they haven't watched, and and especially Spielberg, I am I am very surprised yeah. you haven't seen Saving I actually Private think Ryan. I'd seen bits of it so it's, it's the classic thing isn't it and I'd seen that opening scene before loads of times I think I probably saw that at school in yeah history, genuinely in history class but yeah. um <laughs> so what did you what did you think it's a pretty crap movie yeah. isn't it oh, god it's such a slog no it's fantastic and also what you what you realize watching it which is kind of an obvious thing to say is sort of how many movie tropes that probably get copied and also taken the piss out of in war movies since then kind of started with that yeah there are so many like little moments in it that like what was that thing the um robert downey jr was in thunder something thunder road tropic thunder it's the upmarket hollywood version <laughs> yeah it's the hollywood remake with more tears and more Bound hugs. to happen, folks. Bound to happen. Tropic Thunder, which is which I used to be obsessed oh, with yeah. as a kid. You know, the the, the, the piss take of war movies. Like half of that film yeah, that was is just lifted from <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. So yeah, I don't know. It was good. It was great. So many memes. I always love the bit at the end of Saving Private Ryan when Tom Hanks shoots the tank with his pistol <laughs> and it blows up. And you're <laughs> like, wait, this movie is so unrealistic. <laughs> We always, I have a group of friends where we always joke about the sniper in that film because he's always like kissing his medal, being like, God, that bullet in that head. <laughs> it's all that stuff that's like, there are so many cliche characters in there, but they're probably only cliche because of that film doing so well. A few other things, but I think, yeah, that, that was the one worth mentioning, given that I probably should have watched it 14 years ago whenever it came out. I've seen something which I think could be kind of, kind of current. Euphoria haven't released the second season, but they've got they've released like two intermediate episodes. Like the first episode is all set in one single location with just two actors. So I'm wondering whether they actually kind of did what they could within the kind of COVID limitations. It's like we can't bring you season two yet, but in the meantime, here's this. That makes me think: Has anyone watched anything yet that was very obviously made during lockdown? I think Danny Boyle should make 28 Years Later and just have <laughs> Killian Murphy walking around. Perfect <laughs> opportunity. We've been waiting our whole lives for this. <laughs> Yeah, that's so yeah. true. Do you think that all the people that like stressed making that scene years ago, watching it, being like, for sake, God's sake, could have waited. <laughs> so it does make you think of single drama locations are going to be like the new. Yeah. Sorry, single lo- single drama locations. Yeah. I mean, single, single location, location drama. drama. Single yeah. drama of like someone getting divorced over multiple <laughs> locations. But it's only one drama. We're really strict about that. Yeah, but it's one, you, one, drama. Uh, one thing can happen. Watch the trailer for the Zendaya and John David Washington film that was actually filmed during the pandemic in, in the director's yeah, house the, or some shit. what's it called again? Malcolm and Marie yeah uh, that sold for like 17 million to Netflix oh my god guys how have we not mentioned the Netflix price hike that must be, that's that's a Netflix update we- <laughs> oh here we go I was waiting for this <laughs> It's a pretty boring Netflix update, but it's a Netflix update. In the UK or the world? I don't know if it's global. Yeah, it is global. What are the prices are we talking about? It's here? just a pound more or a dollar more. And I think it's gone from seven ninety nine to eight ninety nine. Okay, Could that's be. outrageous. <laughs> I might have to cancel my membership. 
When times are tough as well, it's just not cool. Um, I haven't noticed it. Maybe I haven't been billed yet. All right, Mr. Moneybags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of us notice a pound more a month, all right? Yeah. <laughs> it's lean times in the Lunt's household right now. <laughs> lean, lean, lean. I haven't eaten for three days because of this price hike. And you're sitting there saying I haven't even noticed it. <laughs> That's why I'm having an elderflower and fucking tonic instead of gin. <laughs> Um, should we move on to this week's uh, this week's film? <laughs> yeah, yeah let's. sure. Why not? Because if if we can all ha- if we've all paid for internet that will last long enough for this episode, yeah. if the price hike <laughs> yeah. the price hike hasn't taken us out yet, I'm on a timer, man. <laughs> this week's film is a fun one and something a little different. It's called The Vaster Night. It came out in 2019. Um, it was actually made back in 2016, but we'll get into that. The synopsis of this film is one night in New Mexico in late in the late 1950s, a switchboard operator and radio DJ discover a strange audio frequency which could change the future forever. It was directed by Andrew Patterson, who is, or I suppose was an unknown. This is um, obviously his first film. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if you didn't know already, I thought this would be a really good choice for the pod because it is... It's what it's like a classic low budget film that just is out like outclasses other movies that have higher budgets. It feels like there's so much filmmaking going on here to bring the story to life. It's exploded. It's gone everywhere. It's on a lot of people's top ten lists of 2020, and it just seems to be loved by a lot of people. And I mainly think that's because of the directing choices that the film has in it and how it was put together. Louis Lose Lips Lance. What do y'all think about this? I think out of everyone, I'm most intrigued about Louis because <laughs> why? Because because I don't I don't think sci-fi films are necessarily the yeah. the your your no. go-to thing. But I think in this case, this feels like the Thunder Road of sci-fi films to some degree. <laughs> if you if you could put it like that, yeah. Uh, when it from an indie filmmaking standpoint, but yeah. um, we're baking biscuits over here. Louis Louis Lose Lips Lance. What do y'all the think first, about most, uh, What do y'all think about the film? <laughs> Louis Lose Lips Lance. Uh, I can't even do it. So. Um, first thing i'll say is that i tend to watch movies with subtitles or at least i try to and um i could not watch this movie with subtitles because they speak in such weird ways for so long i liked it yeah i thought it was good i think like i guess looking at it from two points of view the story is just an interesting one because it's it's not just an alien flick it's kind of looking at the i guess the kind of culture of xenophobia in the 50s and how everything's a kind of tight-knit community but there's always this feeling that you know the the commies might invade and um hot diggity damn this man's going deep (laughs) exactly so I don't know, it was quite a cool little snapshot of 50s America, both the kind of the charming side of it, but also maybe the sort of darker side of it as well, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, and then from a filmmaking point of view, I guess it's quite an elegant way of not spending much money. All these kind of long, yeah. long, drawn out, very actor focused scenes where you're just, you know, hearing a voice and seeing an actor's response to it through the microphone. A lesser filmmaker wouldn't have made it work, but it was actually quite suspenseful and good and well acted. It's a plus from me. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's there's such sensitive direction mm. in this film that makes it work because yeah, this the it feels like it comes from those old it, the same ilk as those old 50s shows like The Twilight Zone yeah. came to yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah. X-Files, Close Encounters, Spielberg coming up for a second time this episode. Mm. Outer Limits as well, stuff like that. It was really well directed because it took those stories and it kind of recontextualized how it's told than necessarily what the plot points yeah. are. So it put you in the in the seat a bit more. Whereas I think those older shows and movies are maybe 
come at it from a slightly different not all of them but they some of it come at it from a slightly different angle so it it was just interesting to watch a well well worn genre and have someone come in yeah take it in a fresh way do you think the um the twilight zone connection is the only reason for that sort of zoom into a tv screen at the start because that's such a weird opening is that actually at the beginning of the Twilight Zone? I thought I took that as just a kind of nod, just to that general fifties, sixties kind of sci-fi. I think, I think it is at the yeah. start of the Twilight Zone episodes because it it basically is like it invites because uh, it, it used to have well it does just have a host usually like and then um, it kind of invites you into the Twilight Zone. So mm. yeah, so it's not come inside. Yeah, so you're not just <laughs> watching a TV show. You're kind of like stepping in to this twilight zone and it's kind of almost like a warning shot the lawyers from the twilight zone are on the phone right now (laughs) (laughs) i hadn't seen the connection um i thought that this film um although yeah great obviously has like mile a minute fucking um work well, now we're dialogue and stuff. Um, yeah, no subtitles. And I thought that basically this film, it feels like when Tarantino came along with like Res Dogs, and which already was a kind of like noir, was a worn genre and like these kind of cop dramas. Uh, but because Tarantino spent his whole life working like a video store or whatever, who's watched a bunch of movies, this has a very similar feel of like a guy coming in who's who used to work in a theater. Uh, cinema, sorry, and so he he's obviously seen so many films, and he's kind of like he's um Tarant- he's pulling a Tarantino, and he's kind of like oh, I like a bit of that, bit of that. Um, it's um so it that's why he does have a feel of these kind of like um encounters of the third kind and that kind of stuff. Like uh, also has a Spielberg, yeah, like you said, um, uh, vibe to it, where it's kind of like. It reminded me of a film called Super 8, directed by J.J. Abrams and Spielberg. The music, especially for Spielberg. Yeah. I think that's a really good point about the Reservoir Dogs thing, like coming in and... Shaking up the genre a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, because that's kind of a one way to get noticed, isn't it? It's like you take something that everyone knows and loves, presumably. Shake it it up like a bag of... (laughs) Like <laughs> and it kind of shows the quieter moments as well for example res dogs is kind of like just obviously mostly set in a warehouse uh, or whatever and and then it kind of shows this bits what happened before so here it doesn't focus on although it has these small bits of what's actually happening out there like small very small bits um it does focus on the boots on the ground kind of situation showing us a for budgetary reasons obviously but also for um for yeah for this kind of like quieter moments where everything kind of s- slows down and you kind of listen into the story very much like res dogs where again they were like oh well, how how you got ended up here and then it kind of goes into the story side and yeah another thing i really liked uh, uh, more so on the second watch because i watched this after dom dom told me to watch it uh, basically <laughs> <laughs> after i after i ordered you to watch it <laughs> yeah, exactly. um watching it today um i i think one of one of the most enjoyable or intriguing scenes for me was so when they're baking biscuits on the radio and stuff and then uh billy calls and then his and and then the visuals fade to black so they don't cut to black, but they fade to black as he's speaking, and he's kind of got, he's got this soothing voice. So you go with it, and you stay on black for like for quite a chunk of dialogue. Every time he kind of speaks, yeah, you yeah. stay on black, and it's such a simple way um, of doing that. They they talked about doing that scene and how they made it. They made they did want to just have it go black for like ten mm, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's ambitious. And they tried it in the yeah, they tried it in the edit, and obviously it, it didn't. Well, not obviously. I mean, they, people think their TVs are broken. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's what they said. They said people thought there was something yeah. wrong. It's a bold directing choice sure. just to even yeah. go yeah. there, even for like thirty seconds. Yeah, and I guess it's it's part of the kind of 
whatever, trying to speak to the way that the power of radio or whatever, you know, going back to the yeah, way Yeah, the power of bacon biscuits on the frequencies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely falls. You're right, Ben. It definitely it falls into the category of films that could be played a bit like Res Dogs, right? It's um, it's three or four big locations. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. It's, yeah, it's just a few big locations and could easily be that's uh, actually really interesting um, there, like there's a connection there between some other debuts mm-hmm. we've done which are like plays could be plays it's, like damien chazelle's first um first feature guy and madeline could have been a could have been a play res dogs could have even been a, a big film by like um not necessarily obviously not a debut by sid lumet but um sorry the offense <laughs> with sean connery two big scenes in the police uh, police station and one big scene at his house and one big scene in the woods and the rest is kind of like pickup shots. So again, like these, and it's a powerful film. Choosing to do in limited location is not necessarily to budgetary strains, but it's just a bold direction to go into, because it, it takes bigger balls to kind of you know stay on uh, stay on a character for uh, for a longer time. Kind of this cut disguise those those cuts where or did not even have cuts. Because cuts, kind of obviously due to attention spans of people, um, that's what they play to. Because you're bored of this scene, that's why you want to keep cutting. That's why you know a lot of fight scenes and stuff um, yeah, from like Marvel early Marvel films are, are like mile a minute again because you know everything's just meant to be fast paced to kind of keep uh, so the audience on board. Um, so again, it takes balls to kind of like stay on a character and invest so that audience invest their time into this character. I think Ben ass whooping y'all has been ass whooping y'all shooting arrow sparrow. <laughs> what do you got to say on it? I don't know whether it was shot on film, but the, the kind of aesthetic of the, the image felt like it was, or to me anyway. I don't know what what kind of grading they did with that, but I, I like that. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm a real big fan of um, Thunderbirds, but it's in the old, the 60s one, and uh, there's a show called The Prisoner. So they're not, I don't know whether they qualify as like sci-fi, but it's kind of not, obviously they're not 50s, but, but like off the bat, I was like, I really liked that intro with the, the, the Twilight Zone, just the whole retro 50s feel of it, like you said, Louis the Charm. Yeah, in terms of the story... I was really hooked in, and it reminded me of a. There's a. I think it's Oliver Stone. There's a film called Talk Radio. It's another one where it's. I think it's near enough a single location where there's a basically a DJ, and um, he gets various callers in, and the kind of tension rises over the film. Um, now, obviously, this is in like even though it's set in one town, it's on different locations, but they still. I'm not saying you took it from this, but it still has that kind of impact of building the suspense just by them like listening in changing the kind of wires yeah yeah the um, bare bones nature of that like i was quite surprised at how much tension was pulled through that scene considering that it was just one shot on him for most of it the other thing on the budget which i thought was pretty impressive is um yeah okay it's one location and they have a lot of long shots but i'm not sure how they wangled this but the kind of set design like those old cars and stuff and the, and the old radio like that's yeah, I, mean, I don't know how they wangled that unless they, you know, that's it's impressive. In the podcast with Rod, well, not so much Roger Deakins, but more of his with his wife in that that one, um, because Deakins just kind of phases in and out. But he's yeah, he he mentions that it's basically once you go outside of main mainstream kind of cities in US, people still have those cars and they'll just lend you them because it's just a small town apparently yeah they just like locked down the whole town for for that crew which i thought was an interesting point a lot of that goes back to andrew patterson the director himself his line for this film so he this whole movie came from one line that he wrote apparently like when he was trying to come up with ideas for films and it just said 1950s black and white small town alien landing film <laughs> and obviously the yeah, yeah the black and white thing i think they they end well i mean it's in the film a little bit with the tv but it's not the main aesthetic of the film which i think was the right choice to be honest 
given that a lot of it's at night. Yeah, I don't know, Something there's something about succinctly writing a film like that and knowing what mm. it is that is the sign of like a, a really great filmmaker to me. Someone that's single-minded in, in how they want to approach it. And everything about this film is single-minded. You know, the way it's shot, the way the actors act. There's obviously ambiguity in the story and stuff, but I just think in the directing choices, there's no question where the camera should be at one, at one point. You know, there's no... Um, super cross-cutting or like found it in the editing room it feels like every decision that was made was just a result of meticulous planning yeah. which probably was due to the fact that they didn't have a lot of time or money i think also there's a there's maybe a freedom for a filmmaker when they're making their first film in choosing a kind of narrative that's actually a really well-trodden trope like a really well-known story um because it kind of i guess it means that there's probably less focus on the twists and turns of the screenplay and it actually just comes more down to how you're going to show it and how you're going to put your own sort of slant on it yeah so i can understand why you'd sort of choose a theme that you already know about and and then just try and do it your own way obviously yes there is that decision where you're like you know uh, i'll I'll take this well-trotted genre and mm. kind of maybe add some subversion or whatever um but it also i think I don't know, obviously I can't speak for this for everyone, but I think it's just what people grow up with and, um, and, and stuff. So they know that genre, that specific genre to the bone because they've, they've spent, you know, years watching those films or whatever, being inspired by them. Nolan, let's say we're following, he did, he knew that, he knew that, uh, that genre to the bone. Obviously, and he comes from. Who's that? Sorry, um, I don't know. I think his career has gone downhill. No, no one's heard of him for years. He's, he's all Hollywood now. Um, but, Wasn't Tenet uh, his I don't know. That film that no one understood. Barely anyone oh. watched. Oh, here we go. Who who here, who here fell asleep during Dark Knight Rises? Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. Can't forgive that. But yeah, I, th- I think it's more of a, a choice of like you know, it's a film. Let's say it's the first film. And it might be the last film you make. So, you know, you go to the things that you do instinctly, instinctly know. Um, so that's why, for example, when Dom mentions like some of the shots, uh, most all of them are, are like very single mindedly, sh- like single minded shots where he knew exactly what the vision for this film is. Yeah. Because mm. because he's been he's he has watched all, all this kind of old school sci-fi and stuff like that yeah, yeah. Um, it does the original uh, ri- original title for this film was saucer no giveaway isn't it <laughs> really? which yeah which yeah which he said was a, too much of a giveaway which i think it would have been yeah um i think vast of night has quite a nice poetic yeah. like title to it a bit it's like what's gonna happen yeah, 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 yeah. anything i think it's interesting i mean that that debate is an interesting one around just different types of first like debut directors right in terms of what's the thing they're aching to make if you look at something like Thunder Road, for instance, it's like there's a script that tells quite an original story about so in, a, in quite a unique way. You know, it's about this one guy and it's probably related to Jim Cummings experiences in some way. But whereas whereas here you've got a guy, a, a guy who I guess, yeah, you're right, probably is a massive fan of all of the films that we've talked about um, in this genre and kind of just wants to pay homage to it and wants to wants to kind of get his version of it away it's just yeah. interesting in, you and know, questioning the motives behind people's first film what, what, what's the thing they want to make a lot of this comes down to timing of when things are released and this i think came out at the right time when these kind of 50 shows that, that everyone remembers and these movies are sort of getting forgotten a mm. little bit with the whole superhero explosion of like big movies that are coming out i think these are becoming more like cult classics that people don't necessarily and they're not necessarily front of mind for people all the time so i think that you can sort of vicariously 
live these old films back through that i mentioned it earlier but we, sh- we should expand on it the film was made in 2016 and apparently what happened was it went out to festivals and it just didn't get in anywhere no one took it in eventually people discovered it and then amazon got the distribution rights for it which is how it's been kind mm. of put on a lot of people's radars because you know amazon obviously give you that platform um but as we discussed on previous episodes with people you know it's just because it's on there doesn't mean people That's are going to find it gets it. buried doesn't it unless it's promoted so it was it was made and finished in its kind of current like status and it still didn't get into festivals yeah apparently it was it went to festivals and it just it wasn't it wasn't accepted in was it got into it got into one slam dance slam dance slam dance yeah and that I, that I think is where it then slam dance yeah. sort of got discovered a little bit right and that's yeah, when Amazon to was be able fair. to <laughs> sorry to keep fucking bringing this guy up just fucking won't leave me alone <laughs> but coming. Nolan's With following Nolan. um, actually just only I think it only got into slam dance and that's where right. it kind of got yeah. picked up he talks he talked uh, Andrew Patterson talked about how disheartening it was to make something that you really love yeah and then like, no, it's good just, as well. No one yeah. wants to watch it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and it, it does it does point to another thing that we often t- touch on, which is timing and time. Yeah, things just take time to get discovered. You know, like it's it, and it's easy to look back on films and be like, oh, they're cult classics now. But like, who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. you know, certain big debuts that when they first came out weren't as big as they are now because they just haven't been discovered. It also shows that so much of a film's success is actually decided before it gets made. <laughs> by you know who's funding it who's involved with it and who's interested in it that's so true but it's this being a completely unknown movie people just didn't know about it and in a lot of ways maybe this was the best way for it to get discovered a bit like well, the story this of the film you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no no i mean like because it's about you know ufos yeah. and all of this it's Came like mysterious underground <laughs> yeah exactly it's like it was always there but we never quite knew god that's such a good eye what didn't i think of that also the uh what did everyone think about the actors because they're complete unknowns mm. and they were casted in this movie but purposefully apparently there was an opportunity to get m- more well-known people but he insisted on having unknowns which i think works with the story so it was such a great choice to do that but everett especially everett who um who i thought was louis at one point <laughs> during, the, during the movie louis loose lip words it was little, little sips, lads. Um, the amount of dialogue he's talking a mile a minute and walking around with these unbroken shots, it's like, it's impressive. This is why you shouldn't put the it, subtitles on, I'm telling you. I, I it's did, really stressful. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I, I actually, I actually did. I actually did watch the start of it with subtitles. All it was was like, we're baking biscuits. No, we're making biscuits. We're baking <laughs> oh, biscuits right did. now. Um, my main take out of it was if you're if you're stressed or concerned, have a cigarette. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You. <laughs> so oh, yeah, that was very good. The, all the smoking indoors was quite, uh, you know, in the way that we watch people in parties and movies now, and we're like, wow, how's everyone together without a mask on? <laughs> and like no. with with that, I watch it and I'm like, how's Everett smoking in a basketball court where there's a sport <laughs> being played? Also, like, like um, this guy bacon biscuits. His face character as well. She looks about twelve in that film. Yeah, yeah. she blazes up <laughs> when Faye Crocker. Yeah, she gets offered Faye a cig by him. It's a prop. Don't worry like, about it. I don't, I don't, yeah, there's an awful lot of dialogue between them that's shot slingshot style back mm. and forth, and it's a lot just, of misdirection. Um, it's impressive. At the start, a lot of misdirection. You don't really know where to look, and you're not sure where the story is going to go. And, and unless unless you sort of knew that the theme was going to be about you know aliens in the sky, it, for for the first sort of half hour of the film, got no idea what this film was about. Especially the first fifteen minutes when they're walking mm. through uh, the the school 
and that was so yeah. entertaining. But where, you know what? But it, yeah, it was such a great opening yeah. to the movie. It's a really <laughs> good opening so anyway, good. just because it's so engaging and introduces the characters. But it also does a quite a good job of because a quite a key point in the film later on is that they're completely isolated because everybody's at the game. And it's a really good way of building contrast into like the busyness yeah. of the of the first part of the film to the quietness of the, the second part. Like I said, it really hooks. Um, I assume it hooked most people on like Everett's kind of swagger. I think they probably spent about ninety nine percent of the budget in the first twenty minutes and the last twenty minutes. <laughs> probably yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Also, there's that thing about like if you have a low budget film, make make put all your money in the first ten minutes, really, and then what, if people say? get invested in yeah, it's like if people yeah. get invested in that. Then like they'll the forgive the rest shot. of the movie because they've like that's so interesting coming to the film. So I don't know if that was a, but I, I don't think that even happened here because the film just got better. And yeah, better cheaper. with yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if, unless you it was a black the, screen dub, black the, screen with the voice the, on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is another. This is another invisible yeah. car where the producer's, producer's like, like, "You want a black screen with a voice on? <laughs> yeah, bring it on, bring it on." <laughs> As much as you want, as much as you want. Yeah. You're telling me there's going to be a minute of this film with no visuals and just a voice? Bring it back. Have as many voices as you want. Chuck them on, man. We're baking biscuits right now. <laughs> Actually, to talk about budget, though, did you know that apparently at the cost of £20,000, the three-point mark was removed on the basketball court to oh, yeah. make it look look to make it in line with how it would have been in the time in the time 20 period. Twenty grand. Well, they would have to put it back in. Couldn't they just fix it in post? <laughs> well, you know what? It's funny you say that because I was wondering, like, when is it shown, or when would you have seen it? Don't you know. During the game. I was going to say, for for given how how low budget it was, that does seem like. Maybe yeah, an unnecessary definitely. expense. So yeah, it's tricky to. I don't know if maybe people who like love the NBA in the states are like screaming at this podcast right now because we're all missing something really obvious. Yeah, it's like a seven foot pole <laughs> or something. I'm a fan of Michael Jordan, but I can't claim to know much about <laughs> basketball and how it's actually. Well, played. I took that personally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they removed the three point from my basketball court. I, know, I, I took, took that, that personally. personally. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, or maybe it's just an obsession with authenticity, given the. Well, yeah, I think that's 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 the origin of that yeah. kind of decision, isn't it? To keep it in line with how basketball courts that would is have. Quite I mean, though. imagine like you build up all this authenticity, and then somebody actually points <laughs> out the three point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, these leads of shit. Yeah. You're like, I would have given another minute of black screen to get rid of it. Why is half the movie in black? Because um, we had to remove this three-point situation going on. <laughs> but why twenty grand? What what are you using to get rid of? So them? what was the? Can, can, this has just suddenly reminded me. You know, you know, it, it gets repeated about seven times in the first twenty minutes that that bacon biscuits, a, a, a squirrel, oh, yeah. and chipmunk, and whatever chews through the wire. That's just a just a rabbit yeah. hole. That didn't go anywhere, right? Or is it sort of saying that's the last? You, wait, you didn't? Did you not? Did you not stay for the post credit scene? <laughs> with the squirrel. With the squirrel getting jacked. Squirrel's <laughs> getting jacked by eating into the electrical I, wire. I, I thought that was going to be a really key part of the aliens turning up or something, and it turns out that it's nothing. It's an un, it's an uncut gems rabbit hole. Just open loads of doors and just choose one. Yeah, so many uh, <laughs> misdirections. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it needed to go anywhere. I mean, yeah. they already put 20 grand into the fucking basketball court. <laughs> they couldn't afford a chipmunk. <laughs> Now I think about it, yeah, that's why it's mentioned off off camera. <laughs> just imagine it. I think part of the reason that's mentioned is just because it's like to show how local everyone is. Because everyone, everyone is, yeah, it's like everyone, 
everyone thinks there's a story about this squirrel or chipmunk eating through the wire and it's just repeated Fine. and, and then it's, it's kind of reiterated when uh over the phone billy's like um so-and-so has died and faye interrupts he's like uh, no he, he says that so-and-so has the tape yeah he still has it and in that specific town and then faye interrupts him he's like and she's like oh he just he died so like that's kind of reiterated yeah, yeah. how everyone just knows everyone there Everyone knows each other's business, yeah. or at least they think I'm they do. I'm about to get deep, okay? So, because it, it is quite interesting how the oh, way that what? they show how. 41 yeah. minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that the, this film shows how isolated this community is, is by showing how tightly knit they are. Like, the fact that the fact that the girl. I know, Ooh, I know. Louis Loose Lips Learns <laughs> going deep. Um, <laughs> ben has ass whooping your ass. Louis Loose Lips Learns making you cry. Uh, <laughs> 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 like you said, he Don't would. drop it bombs. But like the fact, so the, for example, the bit where she's um, the, there's like 15, 20 minutes where she's the you know the phone operator for the town, and everyone kind of calls through her, and not only does that happen, but then she can call like any number that's coming in <laughs> and just say, "Oh, hey, it's Faye. How you doing?" And they just have a little chat, and it's kind of sweet and charming. But then, as you realise that there is no outside, that, you, that there's basically like a couple of dozen people who you know who talk to each other. You start to realize how isolated they are. I love that bit when Billy calls back up and she and he's like, "Hey, it's Billy." She's like, "I put you right through. <laughs> I put you right, I put right through." through. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you're right. It, it, yeah, by showing how and to be honest, this is maybe a good time to talk about the long the long take mm. in the movie because that does a good job of of showing the geography of the, of town, the place, yeah. right, and how everyone is at the game. Mm. Well, first off, that I think it's a four over four minute. Uh, one shot yeah we'll get into how it was made but i think what i loved about the decision of putting that in was to show to show how small town it is to show the geography of it it kind of invites you in as a scene it's kind of clever how far it in into the film it is that it happens because it kind of draws you back in you're like oh they're not cutting or where are we going and the first time i watched it i have to say i, I actually thought that it was um like the point of view of like an alien or something or like i yeah i kind of i yeah. didn't i didn't know what i didn't know if it was meant to represent something but the style of it um it's just unusual i've never kind of seen like a one take like that before in a lot of ways so to, i don't know to, to even have a shot like that in the film that's inventive let alone anything else is is pretty remarkable yeah. I, I it kind of yeah it kind of elevates the film because like obviously as an as a first time indie or whatever you could just have you, you could just essentially just cut to bacon biscuits uh just sitting outside <laughs> smoking yeah Everett's yeah. uh just being outside smoking but this is a clever way to show like the distinct vision for this film and to show that you know the director does have chops he's not he, um that he knows and understands the visual language of cinema it's not just he's making a film he's actually using the um the the visual language to actually explore and show and communicate to the audience what exactly what you're saying, Dom, which is the geographical location, how lonely that the town is now because everyone's at the game, and how actually it does a lot of that yeah, shot, yeah, yeah. doesn't it, to, to to advance the story rather than just be like a kind of and, cool one shot. And it also, you're right. Yeah, so it's a film about aliens in the sense like something has happened with aliens, right? And it reminded me of in Alien Three, David Fincher's not greatest, but whatever. But basically, they do this the same thing where, because obviously it's meant to be a dog alien. Sorry, I'm just digressing here. But it's on the floor. It's on the floor. So it reminded me of that yeah. a lot. Yeah, you know, you're right. That's so true. And it also had that eerie space music, which uh, at, which kind of intercuts with uh, kind of this yeah. uh, 
banjo jingle or whatever um mm. so it kind of like fuses this what you just said about learning understanding the language of cinema um as as big as a phrase that is i do agree with it because the way that that music of in the vast of night gelled with that shot the kind of like horns the little spielberg yeah kind of yeah, horns yeah, yeah. that came up and it and it's like oh you're on a journey and you're going somewhere and it's exciting you know it's like but what the actual story is is just people in three different locations that's, that's exactly but that's like it. there's a yeah um i don't know if anyone else looked looked this up but the way that it was done was um it was on a go-kart apparently we can imagine wow. the guy with a camera though and they were they were handing the camera off to different people and there was three cuts in that That's long not. bit because it goes up it goes up a, up a level outside doesn't it to go yeah. through the, so yeah, they so were handing off the, the steady cam to like different yeah. people and it, what was so great and i think maybe what was the intention behind it was it was never meant to be like you know sometimes you see a cool shot take say a one shot in a film and you're like looking at how you look trying to look at where the yeah. cuts are and stuff and like technically break it down and i think this this avoided that by actually being like no i'm just into the film more i'm not i'm not thinking yeah. about how it was performed i mean you say that but the second time what? i did try to catch it um, yeah the second time i'm sure you can you can go hard. go full film nerd on it but <laughs> first time um i think you, i knew specific specifically where the cuts do happen and i still couldn't find it <laughs> because it's such a good shot one thing that kind of gets overshadowed is the shot like a few few shots before it, which is like an eight nine minute uncut shot of zooming in on Faye yeah. um, at the rate. Is is in this? It's literally eight minutes of her just like plugging in and taking out wires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really Listening. suspenseful and well acted. I think you're right. I think that you're right. That sh- that shot takes the the energy and tone of the film from this quite kind of like um, excited, jovial, positive down, you know place into something then quite sinister. And you're right. Yeah, it slows it down, but. And then the tracking shot almost then just beds that in. The tracking shot then sort of feels like, right, we're into part two of the film, which is where it starts to get scary. Did, uh, did anyone actually feel like like it's going to get scary? Like, you I was behind the sofa, Signs do or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I had to turn off it multiple times. No, I don't, mean, I don't mean like horror scary, but as in, you know, it starts to feel more uh, suspenseful. There's more thrill. I tell you what I did find I did find unsettling was the scene with old lady. the the old lady. <laughs> yeah. Because that that to me was like nothing had been explained up until that point, but they were still going and searching and it was like, okay, then she's like weird herself. Yeah. And it just and then you start to feel like they're trapped in the house because they're not leaving. I felt uncomfortable during uh that bit where you know he's talking to her and she's like oh you'll have to come to my house and you'll have to find <laughs> the key yeah. and then he gets there and she's like who's she you sound like a family yeah. guy character <laughs> oh we're gonna have to get some popsicles going on <laughs> but then he goes there with Faye and she's like who's she like it, it feels a bit more inappropriate than maybe it should at least at least that phone call she's probably the most probably the most more disturbing character i'd say yeah well it's, it's also the angle of her face the whole way through where you can't quite make her out and then it suddenly flips around to a full front shot yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also it's it's the first time i think that they actually go into a complete unknown because they go to places where they kind of shouldn't really be but in yeah. that lady's yeah. house yeah. it could yeah. be it's true anything could be in there like there's some is. of the stuff she says it doesn't it borders like being She's not like crazy cat lady, but she's kind of saying weird enough stuff that you semi-believe. And it's like, hang on, yeah. what's this old woman talking about? <laughs> and I mean, yeah. Sorry, also the bit where they're driving in the back of the car and then they realize that the guy driving and his wife are like, that. that's a bit scary. Yeah, that was that, a bit that feels up. like it's going somewhere. I feel like we've gone from that, saying this um, wasn't scary at all to being like, no, yeah, generally, like, I, was quite, ah! I was quite scared. <laughs> 
So now that Louis mentions that that scene in the back, where the, uh, the in the back of the car, and um, the couple kind of pass out or whatever, <laughs> so they use the fade to black again to kind oh, of yeah. make the situation very discombobulated and kind of like, what the fuck is going on here? And again, it uh, it's so minimalistically done because all they do is just cut to black, mm. probably black money or whatever. The way it's done, it's effective enough to actually. For, I was like, oh shit, this actually might just get somewhere real, you know, real um, scary or whatever. But obviously, there's great stakes in that scene but, with the car. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because also, it's like everyone knows like what it's like being in the car, and I think like ninety percent of I don't know people on on Earth are probably like know what it's like to be in an unstable car or drive somebody who's unstable <laughs> or something. I don't know. But just so having just this trust issues where like they just might crash. It reminded me of Fight Club actually, where Tyler Durden's like, "What do you want to do before you die? Build a house." Your, uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, when it cuts to them in the back. Yeah. Actually, just on the. Uh, are you, wait, are you saying that most people in the world can relate to the fact that <laughs> a couple out? from the 1950s who are driving their car are going to be controlled by an alien? We've all we've I all think, been I there. We have all now, definitely. Um, I was just going to say the uh, just back on the one shot quick. I, I just remembered. Um, I don't know if anyone has seen this Argentinian film, The Secret in Their Eyes. It's a fantastic movie, but there's a uh, there's a a four minute or five minute unbroken yeah. shot inside a football stadium. Apparently, just on what Benas was saying about Andrew Patterson knowing his cinematic chops. Apparently, he saw that scene and felt inspired by that kind of long take to put that in the vast of night. But I think he actually hired the guys mm. who do, who did yeah. the VFX on that scene. Cause the stitching on the stitching together of shots on the, on the secret in their eyes scene is so good. It's almost impossible to know where they are, but that aside, the actual con- construct of the whole sequence is really suspenseful. So it's kind of interesting that he just called them up and was like, yeah, can, do what you did on that, on this film they'd been dying to work on a sci-fi film because they're these like Spanish guys that just work on these like family dramas and stuff. And then <laughs> they're like, oh, we've wanted to work on a sci-fi film for ages. And then you call up saying like, can you just do what you did on that film, but on, a, on this sci-fi? And they're like, yeah, great. <laughs> Spooky. One gripe that I did have on ben my Ben ass whooping was, y'all. Uh, it's just more of a thing where it's like, so, you know, it's like some parts feel like they're black and white, or whatever, but some parts are, it's really, really yeah, dark. I agree with this when you you know film a dark scene you still need to light it but over there it just felt like there was no fucking lighting it, all you can make out was phase white it was blouse. the vast of night in the vast of night wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> but then it felt like the vast of night um, yeah i think if you, i watched yeah, it but, at night the first time with the lights off and it yeah, and, same, and it really same, helped same, yeah. but i can imagine if you watched it during the day it would actually be quite hard to make out some scenes same um, yeah i i didn't notice but then exactly I was it's hard to know if if this yeah, like it, it, in the dark, you kind of overlighting a film set in the 50s doesn't quite feel right at night anyway you know there's not many street lights around the lights that are there are not going to be as powerful so i do get the stylistic choice behind it um yeah 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 uh same like i think in the beginning there was a scene or something where it just felt overly lit it must have been on Faye. it must have been in the beginning where her and everett go start walking towards you know home and radio shack or whatever um, and there was one bit where it just felt way too too lit. Um, and then yeah, those just two things just stood out. Like <laughs> one was being too lit, and one was un- just underlit. But again, I don't think I think it might have been actually on purpose and stuff. I don't think like he put such detail on the basketball court to shell out twenty grand and be like, 
well, we're not going to use it. Yeah, I, that's a, I feel like it's an in, intentional thing. And, uh, yeah, and to yeah, expand yeah, yeah. on that, Sparrow's point of the cars from the 1950s, as uh, Andrew Patterson said, it was it was easy to find those cars because apparently a lot of people still have them. And yeah. because of that, it was interesting to have that kind of myth kind of busted a bit. So, you know, like debut film, not a lot of money, period piece. Already the money yeah. is like hard to make but it's well if you can just get people to apparently they were borrowing people's cars until like five in yeah. the morning and then pe- people were wanting them back and they were like still using them um but <laughs> kept this disappe- like, cars kept disappearing yeah i mean the production design and the and all of that i thought was refreshing really it was just so great to see something that wasn't it really wasn't flashy in its production design it was just true to how it was so during that again during that one one shot right just as it leaves the phase job workplace, um, it looks like it's a film set from like John Huston from like a western. Western, yeah, it does look shit. like a western. Doesn't yeah, it? yeah. And I was like, yeah, this feels like it's been shot on a studio backlot, but obviously it's not. It's just a small town. So that's how like well preserved. Yeah, that's amazing yeah. that these, that amazing these that towns. Noticed, yeah, I thought that, but I thought that that was just you know something I thought rather than something that was deliberate. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. This looks like it's been shot on a studio. You expected to have a straw on the road and like horses to walk down. Yeah, but is that, like <laughs> if that was a if that was a conscious decision, I think that's such a great little fifties mm. throwback. The kind of thing. Egg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's amazing they got a UFO yeah. to fly over the top as well at the end. Yeah, that's quite good. Balls of t- <laughs> well, actually, to say something about that. I was kind of disappointed <laughs> that it's you know you, I I mean this is probably quite a controversial thing because it's the whole it's the whole genre like you need you need to show the aliens or whatever but as I was saying about how I liked the elegance of how they um of making a suspenseful kind of thriller whatever of a movie on a very low budget by for for instance fading to black or just having voices in the radio or just you know the scariest part just literally being the couple looking up to the ceiling it all kind of felt like quite a cool way of just getting your imagination to do the work and it seemed kind of annoying that they spend the last three minutes like spunking loads of oh, money yeah, on yeah, yeah. quite crap special effects <laughs> i kind of rather crap? that's interesting I, I, but it wasn't it was it wasn't it wasn't crap but it wasn't great oh, and it's just it kind of ruins the smartness was... of the film right, and using your imagination you to do that job for it look are you saying about the shot that kind of uh, lingers on a bit of sunlight because to me that felt a bit more like a car. You're talking about when they, when it goes directly uh, over them, the source. Well, no, no, no that scene was good because I really yeah, like that yeah, scene. Yeah. What, what are, you ta- are you talking about? There's that a bit because... where it, there's a bit where it zooms out and it's more of an establishing shot and it sort of has like the mothership. Oh with yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. that that, that oh, with yeah, 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 yeah. sure. I think it would be okay to show kind of you know vague lights above them like it does for a while and you're kind of not sure. I feel what like it, ne- it needed that to because in the story it mentioned about two of them like talking to each other right there was yeah. like a i don't know i'm just trying to think of the reason why that shot was kept in because I, I agree yeah. it was probably the the one where your hand was shown the most the, the saucer bit itself was good it was that you know like, the saucer was good louis or just the, the actual big wide one the bit where it goes over them initially i thought that was I, that was pretty I, pretty cool i think i ba- mm-hmm. i think yeah. i mean yeah i kind of i kind of think it could this have been guy watches save private ryan once yeah and he exactly. can't handle any other movie <laughs> Yeah, my, my special effects is now very yeah. uh, bar is very high. It has to be D Day or yeah, nothing. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't recreate D Day in perfection, then I'm not going to let any other film come through. Yeah. I I, it's not that it was dreadful. It's just that I, the the charm of a film like that sometimes is just not not having expensive VFX. You know, doing the, the work for you. I would say um, I personally 
I just want to counter that with um, oh, E.T. Oh, badass whooping y'all coming oh. in with the last minute. Oh, badass whooping y'all. Saving E.T. Louie loose lips, lunch gets around the face by badass and then... Sorry. E.T. So... Oh, now we whooping us? Um, you know how E.T. Um, so obviously you see the alien in E.T. No, no surprise there, but spoiler alert: um, it's still an elegant <laughs> for yeah, Louis. For Louis, for anyone who has. Are <laughs> you still working for Spielberg? <laughs> Louis's like, what's E.T.? Uh, I'm gonna get to Jaws one day. <laughs> um, but you know how, like, through that film, it's still an elegant and kind of like a small town, kind of like kind of Stranger Things esque. Mm. But towards the end, it does go a bit. Over, not overboard, but it does commit to the mm. third act. It throws everything mm. in there, um, and there's yeah, there's a bit where you, you see the ship, um, and you know that it's not as stand-up or iconic shot as uh, by, uh, ET on the bicycle going against the moon and stuff. Basically, the Hamden logo. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, <laughs> um, but again, it kind of needs. Uh, it, it it still shows the spaceship, and even though it's not that great or whatever, or maybe the effects aren't that great, it somehow fits um, the vibe of the film. Doesn't it plays it? into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah it I fits. completely agree with that. That it follows the mold of the way these films always work. It's that you know every brief encounters or um... yeah, and the the thing is like it's that last mothership shot. It, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was a bit like almost the dawn. <laughs> of, uh, some, maybe the sunrise or something like that. I yeah. can't remember. But it had this uh, this orange tinge to mm. it, um, which which was why I thought it was a bit cartoonish. But if it, it felt a bit more playful again after his, you know this last I don't know ten minutes or whatever, in the, spending the whole film in the dark, it kind of establishes what, you, what it is and... you've been suspense, you know, in suspense for. Actually, you know what it does did remind me of a little bit in that respect, and actually my disappointment maybe in the same way um, was <laughs> monster which we did on this post. Oh yeah, Gareth Edwards, where, yeah, Gareth Edwards even. Yeah. Where yeah, I would probably say for the same th- the same thing that throughout that film one of the really cool things is that you've no idea really what these things look like and yeah. you just have to imagine it. Yeah. And then you see that and shot. It's and it's disappointing then... that you then see it. Like you kind of don't want to. I, I was going to say I, I I actually think less I do know I do know exactly what you mean Louis especially with the vast of night as in yeah that it's all kind of about the unknown and then and then at the end they show you the the saucer <laughs> be like, oh i know but i actually yeah. on the, but on the but on the on the flip side which is kind of what on i took a, from on it on a shooting arrow barrel you know, on a flippity flip from shooting arrow barrel i no i cuz it cuz it's cuz it is a low budget uh, close knit thing it actually i thought it actually lifts the ending cuz you're kind of oh this man kind of expecting biscuits. it well, no, no, because you're kind of just expecting them to be like looking in the sky and it's just black or something, or they disappear. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they actually show the the ship. What would you do instead? Because if you don't do that, then you just have loads of wind and they disappear. Yeah. Cut to black. Yeah. No, I mean genuinely. I think I think that is yeah, what no, I would do. Yeah, exactly. Think how much cheaper it'd be, man. Yeah, Two hundred exactly. grand right there. Yeah. You just need a fan. But like you're saying, it's like you know, you, you, it's been like bare bone basics, specific yeah. filmmaking, and then like you don't see the alien. You might be saying the opposite. Where yeah. you're like, well, I wish they would have shown something. Definitely. And I think that's probably what would, would be the more common response to something like that. I guess there is also just something about any suspenseful film. It's always a little bit of a... It always inevitably just feels a bit like an anticlimax when the suspense is finished because you see what it was that you were being in suspense over. It's true of like horror movies, you know. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, this isn't that scary. You razzle my berries you. with those points. 
<laughs> Louis, have you seen um, Probably Godzilla? Not. Oh, actually, yeah. Uh, the Gareth Edwards one. Um, and the biggest complaint when that film came out was that they don't see enough of Godzilla. They see just like his tail <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Tell, or tell his... that to the producers sitting on a, yeah. on a Hawaiian like... island right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that was the big thing. We're like, oh, we, oh, we barely even got to see. It. We we just saw people made on, it more on the like ethereal and otherworldly. Not seeing Godzilla, yeah. You know, if you just show him like head on with his like six pack, it's like, <laughs> oh, that, that that boy had no yeah. six pack boy. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine yeah. that? Basically, directors can't win if they can't, can't win either way, right? <laughs> exactly. well, yeah, that's what we've that's you what we concluded. More Godzilla exactly. now. I got less Godzilla. What do you want from me? <laughs> I show the aliens. I spent twenty grand on the basketball court. Then I got to get money for the aliens. But some producer wants me to keep it on Make black a decision for already. <laughs> Jaws would be better if we never saw the shark, which it was. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah but you do see the shark in it. Though. No, I know. I but the, the point of Jaws is that the shark actually broke down during filming, and so I haven't you, seen you Jaws. don't you don't see it. You do- well, this isn't a spoiler. It's got a shark in it. No, it's got a shark whatever. in it. And ironically, we're talking about how you don't see the shark that way. Have you not seen but it? To- no, Sparrow. That is, that is a good point. But to to that point, the shark in in Jaws famously broke down, and so they just kept it under the surface more, right. and that made it more suspenseful because you never. No, yeah, well, I think no, I think Jaws is probably a good example of like obviously there's the music which is famous for. You don't see the shark for most yeah. of the film. But at the end, you do get the, yeah. the kind of payoff. Just of a it. quick point. Um, we can't just, see Ben, like, by the way, that... so we don't know when he's laughing or when he's <laughs> crying. It's, so it just sounds like Jaws was like meant to actually fail because obviously they ran out of money, ran out of basically film. Uh, the, the shark, the shark ended up Either broken. That, there's a shit. producer in the background just stabbing the shark. <laughs> Stop <laughs> using this thing; it costs so yeah. much money. Um, <laughs> quickly before we before we go into iWords that. Um, Andrew Patterson did say, Sparrow will like this, a couple of films that inspired the the style of how this film was brought to life. So one of them is this film, 71, which is actually a directorial... Yeah, de Minaj. Yeah, it's a directorial debut. So I, Soldier gets separated basically from his pack uh, during during one of the one of the times they had to kind of calm, uh, calm the crowds down. But obviously shit gets out of hand and then the IRA involved um, and he has to make his way back yeah, to Yeah, and it kind of stays with him, right? A lot of the movie. Yeah, it's like kind of like The Warriors, which he said was a massive influence and on that film. And then American Graffiti, which is George Lucas's, where that kind of showed like the teens of 1950s America yeah. as they really are, you know, like showed them more more on the ground kind of style. And finally, the reason why Sparrow would like this is Linklater, apparently. Staying on character oh, yeah. and, you know, doing these long 10-minute 15 minute shots where you oh, see yeah? characters develop within the shot rather than cutting all the time um, those were just some of the influences he said that he had on the film and it's like when you kind of break it down it's easy to see how all of those blended together to kind of create something new when you when yeah. you put it against this genre of 1950s kind of sci-fi but now that you mention it I would say that Linklater comes off graf- I would say yeah graffiti and Linklater especially Days and Confused kind of hit the most mm. for me in this film I'm not sure if Days and Confused actually did inspire him or not, but uh, point is in that film and also the kind of like quick whip dialogue and shit. Um, yeah, Everett is a bit like a almost like a McConaughey character. <laughs> all right, all right, film. all right. <laughs> who's hanging? Who's too? Who's too? You know, he's quite. He's out of school, isn't he, or something like that? But he still keeps hanging out. I feel like Sparrow is a big fan of uh, Everett's character. 
Yeah, I felt, yeah, felt got cool. that vibe. <laughs> I, I, like, I want to try and try and model it. when I'm wearing my glasses. I like to think I could uh, pull that look off. How how old is he meant to be then? Yeah, like twenty, prob- probably kind of just out of school. Yeah, like eighteen. Yeah, because he knows all the kids in school, doesn't he? Teasing, teasing the band guy, and yeah, must must have been just just out of school. Yeah, because he also yeah, because right, he runs oh, yeah. that the DJ the radio booth. He's like now you're raising my berries. Even the first scene that we've been talking about, there's like such confidence from the start that you are just going to be involved in the film. It's like I think yeah, chaotic opening, and it's apparently it was initially like it was deliberately complex. You know the quipping of dialogue the not seeing the front of people's faces you know you don't even get a good look on Everett's face until Billy calls in I think and then you get mm-hmm. that real extreme close up on his face yeah it's a pa- powerful move I felt I felt more drawn in actually by that because um, you know especially when it's such quick 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 dialogue mm-hmm. you you think that you think that that everything's important and especially that fucking chipmunk <laughs> Yeah, um, sorry. Like, so you 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 don't want to miss anything. So now you're actually in the film, um, really listening to things and mm, paying attention mm. to things because usually things are established within the fuck first yeah. twenty minutes. Uh, the most important. It's like things, toying right? with your expectations. The yeah, fact, there's, there's a whole five you, minutes. Yeah, on, you spend ten twenty minutes. Doing yeah, nothing. there's a whole five minutes on it on him going to to like run an errand, and then it turns out they want Emmett, not Everett. So you're gonna go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I said like, oh, Emmett, not Everett. You're Everett, totally, right? Totally wasted time. <laughs> it was the but, chipmunk. Yeah. The chipmunk laid his plans. <laughs> God, this chipmunk would have been a good eye would. You're kind yeah. of physically distanced from the film because of the TV thing at the start, and then mm. you're sort of further distanced by the fact they don't show close up. So, I don't know. As the film goes on, and you get closer to the characters, to the point where you're like, cameras right in front of their face. By the end, yeah, it's just a sign of a filmmaker that knows what they're doing. Mm. Well, also to the point that it just gets more intense. The film as it goes as it goes yeah. on, it gets yeah. more intense. Especially the old and, woman scene that and, seemed like frightened everyone. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> right, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> <so it's, laughs> Yeah, it just kind of like, especially what uh, Sparrow said about that um, eight-minute take as well with Faye. Um, you know, that's the mo- one of the more uh, intense scenes where, where you know this is sh- this shouldn't happen, and you know, so those close-ups, they are they aren't quick cuts. They're they're slow cuts. They draw you in, and because you're listening to what she's listening, yeah, you just kind of like it's got more more of a hold your breath kind of kind of uh, filmmaking. Louis alluded to it earlier, but briefly on the story, you uh, you talked about the metaphor obviously 1950s america like everyone's paranoid communism there's yeah. this, the xenophobia going around i think you know with with in america the mccarthyist witch hunts yeah the film seems to ask this question of like what if aliens weren't a metaphor you know mm. like what if oh yeah yeah that's so true it's yeah it's hard to it's 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 hard to kind of overinterpret this one because obviously the film wasn't made in the 50s it's it's set in the 50s made in 2016 so it's like how much of this this is deliberate and how much are we just reading into it because of the 50s setting but yeah i mean there are definitely a few references in there on there to the kind of i don't know like the military scare so you know you've got the soldiers kind of thinking oh what is it we're facing there's some unknown enemy you've got the you know, if the Soviets were going to invade, they'd do it through the southern border. You know, and, <laughs> yeah, they talk this... about Sputnik as well, briefly. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. May I mean, I maybe it's less it's less about this film specifically, and maybe that's a bigger conversation about this genre being, you know, a product of a time when there was genuine scare that there were kind of miscreant forces yeah. hidden in our society. I would say that it's more of a kind of almost like a retrospect look at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Of that time, sorry. It's a nice um, flip there as well with the like people thinking that 
the metaphor for aliens and communism and you know being spied on but yeah. kind of yeah, asking yeah, that yeah. question like well if they are real what does that mean for the rest yeah. of the world yeah uh dump just quickly is your iWorld just basically this is a fan <laughs> <from the 1950s? laughs> I've, um, I've, sent from the 1950s i've had to move away from that that iWorld uh <laughs> strategy because i think it's been proven that basically saying it was real <laughs> It's a documentary. Yeah, it's, it's, it's as yeah, it's like I don't have time to think of an iWords. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't quite work. Speaking of iWords, shall we go into them? And for anyone who doesn't know what an iWord is or what it stands for, it stands for "It was all a dream," which was coined by our friend Dylan, who came on the Nightcrawler episode when he claimed that watching a film where you get to the end of it and you see that it was all a dream um, it's pretty infuriating <laughs> apparently to certain New Yorkers so this is where we uh, how did that ha- sorry I guess I just need to listen to that episode how the fuck did that come about in Nightcrawler because um, like nothing yeah, alluded to I think if it li- any listeners can go back and listen to Nightcrawler and let us know that'd be great <laughs> I think it was because we were doing the it was called something else then and then One Wild Theory One Wild Theory and someone had a theory of it was all a dream and then and then that's Dylan said, that's, that's really annoying. So we just decided to call Dylan, it. It was all a Dylan dream. went off on one being like, I can't believe films that say it was all a dream just really annoy me because you've invested all this time. And then it's like, it was all a dream. So basically um, every time we do this, we now, we're now trolling Dylan. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy with that. Um, we, I should mention that the, the IWOD uh, part of this is where we all come up with our own theory. Alternate theory for the film. Seeing as this film's about UFOs, this is going to be an interesting one. It's not just about UFOs, but uh, who wants to go first? Ben ass whooping y'all coming in on his first episode <laughs> of 2021 think... coming in strong. From WOTW. From yeah, WM I think we're going to run, in, <laughs> run into the same iWords here for some reason. Like last episode when Louie and Will had the same iWord for uh, Not My Sunshine. Oh, yeah. No way. <laughs> for Breaking Bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't yeah, blame you either that's though. Just, that's not even an iWord. That's just probably true. <laughs> exactly how exactly how it happened it was basically a casting call for breaking bad pretty much um okay so my i would i'm just gonna read it off i don't think i but can you I act it out it actually that'd be better yeah can you make a the film fact we can't we, see you yeah, and no, no one else can see you it's, uh, <laughs> can you make should we just yeah, get a black it, screen and exactly listen to do it in mine <laughs> do it do it in mine just imagine there's a black screen going yes. save, um, you're saving dollars here pots for precious pod dollars <laughs> There was something strange with the um, popsicles going on. <laughs> anyway, we'll let you, we'll let you, I don't know, we keep interrupting you. Uh, this uh, vast night I would is basically, this whole situation, all of it was just like a ruse from the US government, plan, planned by them, in order for them to make more money and to cover their tracks for the space race between them and Russia. Like, it's Sputnik was mentioned here, so you know it's launched, it's already out there. So, and the guy that calls Billy, essentially, the guy that calls the radio station, uh, he knows damn well that there's a tape going on somewhere. He's probably a high-ranking sergeant. Also, the, the town looks desolate. America was going maybe for a shit time. Avocados have spilled in the road. It was said. Avocados have spilled in the road. We are at DEFCON 5. <laughs> so you know there's going to be a big economic downturn for for us now the u.s government makes it all happen it gets the word out the next thing you know tourism is through the roof they make the money and damien chazelle puts the first man on the moon <laughs> a couple years later. so wait i'm so lost what is your theory that this actually was real this, have you done a dom have you done a dom dropping bombs <laughs> 
It was no, a tourist it, campaign. It, it was a tourism campaign, basically. Yeah. <laughs> tourism. Okay, fine. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the yeah. actual the actual events of the movie actually happened to make it a tourism campaign. Um, they did basically it did happen. The U.S. government didn't know what to do with uh, the sources and shit, but they knew they were running out of money to to face off the Russians in the space race to claim right. the moon. So they were like, shit, we need tourism. We need avocados. There's avocados in the spill in the road. <laughs> I love the avocados. I love that they're they're a key part of the theory. I'm, I'm still I'm still <laughs> lost on the theory. So it actually this actually happened or it didn't. It's a film about it happening, right? Fine. You're saying that fine, in the fine, plot. Fine, fine. Okay. Yeah. The U.S. government made this okay. film in to 2019. Happen. In 20 in 2016. It took a long time. Yeah, but it, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's- <laughs> For all you know, all I took from that was avocado <laughs> spilled in the road, which frankly was going to mean that it could potentially be the best one this week. I think that's fair because that's that's a key key now. I can do element. mine. Mine's a lot shorter than that. Oh, um, dumb dropping bombs! Dumb dropping bombs coming in, making sure that y'all know that we do not have one right now. Dumb. <laughs> I didn't know and I definitely don't care. (laughs) I love that line. That that really stuck out to me the second time I watched it. I don't know. My theory is that this whole movie, it's told from the point of view of an alien because the cinematography in this film is so unusual. Mm. All of the shots, the way it's put together, the camera just doesn't move in the way that it normally does in a film. And often it does look like someone is observing the scene. I also think that the opening on the TV and coming in is almost like I've rationalized that to be the alien's like way of transmitting down to Earth. So they've mm. like gone through the antenna of the TV and then they're like out and that's why you at the start you go through the tv and then suddenly you're like behind emmett uh, um and uh, sorry emmett <laughs> it's not emmett it's everett <laughs> everett uh everett's walking that's another i would yeah exactly and then you see them like you see, when they're walking alone him and Faye after the basketball court at the start it's like the camera's really far away from them and then mm. obviously the four minutes scene i've alluded to it looks like an alien's running around doubly checking what the hell's going on yeah, I just it feels as if the movie is told from that point of view. And actually, the more I thought about it, the more I thought there's kind of credible evidence that it could be. It almost doesn't feel too <laughs> too much that it was all a dream. I think that's actually pretty valid, yeah. Alien boots on the ground. How would you explain... Okay, at first, it's a kind of wide shot, long shot. Uh, but what, how do you explain when Faye is at work and he's zooming into her? Is it an alien filming it or is an alien standing right there? Oh, so I'm saying it's, it's an alien standing right there. And actually, yeah. With the camera or is he just looking at no, her? No, no, I think he's experiencing it, looking at her. Because um, like Louis said, when she starts hearing the noise, maybe that's because the alien is there. He's there. So he's, invis- he's invisible? <laughs> maybe it's their, yeah. it's their way of, okay. um, you know, avocado spit on the road. I mean, I could yeah. buy that. Yeah. I mean, I'd I mean, buy it that sounded for a lot more wild when I thought about it. And now I'm actually talking about it. It feels quite straight. <laughs> yeah, it actually is. <laughs> Because, like, the camera <laughs> angles are all quite menacing, aren't they? It's like you're really getting up in their business and following them down an empty road. It's and, really interesting yeah. cinematography, and um, and this is the reason why I think an alien was on set. <laughs> <laughs> you know the alien on set being... Um, so, you know the four-minute take? Yeah. Is, it, is, it, is the alien on a go-kart? Or is... No, so what happened What happened with the four-minute take <laughs> is they, they went, look, we want to do this four-minute take where we go in one take to between all these locations how are we going to do it and the alien said look give me the steady cam <laughs> i'm gonna pace it between these things you let me know you let me know like what's going on for some reason ever since we said that it was done on a go-kart i'm just imagining like um 
Mario's Mario. Just going. Just going through. It's true. An arrow sparrow. Okay, this is this is slightly similar to to yours, Dom. Okay, we got razzmatazz berries. Shooting arrow sparrow, being similar to berries. There's a school of thought. This is just separate to the film that daytime or no light-hearted television is inherently dangerous. Because uh, when people watch stuff like Friends and stuff, they actually think it's kind of like real life. It's mm. like, but it's, it's not. It's all fake. So basically, my theory is that you know how there's there's various sh- there's the opening shot where it zooms in the TV, and there's other shots where it kind of shows it on the TV screen, just like in throughout the film. So my theory is that the aliens they see all this footage of um they they, they see like kind of they get links of daytime television and then they just see like this real footage of like what we see in the film and they associate it as all being the same thing. So they think like they basically think life on Earth is kind of like a comedy or like a like a happy go lucky a TV show. Um, so what happens is they they take people and expect them to kind of make their community like that, but obviously it's not real. So they come back and take more people. <laughs> then, They're addicted to people. The cherry on the cake. Oh, is he's got the, cherries um, and he's got so cakes. Cherry my raspberries. The the title of the film is yeah the vast of night. And if you take the first letter of each word, it's TV on. Oh. oh! oh! Yeah. So that's what, so yeah, basically damn. they just want um, They experience life on Earth through the genre of daytime TV, like they, these comedies they, and Yeah, they they think that yeah, because it because you know it shows like intersplice into the film, there's there's just shots where it's yeah. on a TV that screen. That's a damn good theory. TV on TV on blew my mm, mind. That's wild. That blew as my gets. mind, yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, you you put a oh. cherry in Louis raspberries. You raz my berries. <laughs> 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 there's a lot of credibility to that um and yeah i don't know it feels, uh... yeah the tv on bit is the best bit that was the... the tv on bit is the bit that saved I, you i had yeah. to build backwards nice i don't, i like that um i've been yeah, thinking decent. i might start keeping a scoreboard for what we think is the best i whatever episode <laughs> yeah. just just to table. let you guys know it's three of you three of us have already gone so now louis got his final one <laughs> see if he can clinch it i think i know who's one i might choose already all right. Well, it's not, it's not my. It's not my yeah, own. Same, same. It's not a foregone conclusion. Yeah. All right. Here we go. So, um, my my theory focused on my iWord focused on who these people in the sky, as they call them, really are. Um, and I think I look at the time period that we're in. So we're in the fifties, and there is this mysterious kind of people in the sky coming and interfering with things. And I think the only other time that we know that they came was when the old lady said, oh, well, when I was young and it's like the old West, right? It's kind of when they were building the railroad and the Apaches were around. So I'm trying to think, what do I know about, you know, people in the sky during the fifties and then also during the old West. And then I thought, what do you know about? (laughs) Well, well, you may ask. I thought to the back to the future trilogy, uh, where Marty and doc, if you remember in one and two, they go back to the fifties if I'm right. Yes. And in three, they go back to like the 1890s, 1900s, early 1900s to see the, the, the old America. So anyway, so, berries. <laughs> to Razma Berry, I think it's genuinely true that this is a, this is a, an homage to back to the future where, you know, it's not aliens that are coming and appearing in the sky. It's Marty and, and Doc in the sky <laughs> with, with the car. <laughs> so wait, you're saying that in the movie, you're saying this is part of the, this is Back to the Future 4, technically. Yeah, exactly. I'm saying, pre- I'm saying, well, it's Back to the Future told from the perspective of these poor people in the time who are not sure what's going on and why there are people How in the How do you sky. explain where the DeLorean is? The DeLorean is the, is the mysterious 
it's evo- thing it has evolved. Uh, it's, evol- into... it's evolved into the spaceship. That's how we get around it. Okay. Well, this is why I was disappointed with the spaceship shot because it ruined my eyewood theory. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, please be a DeLorean. Please be a DeLorean. Oh, man. God well, damn it. To, to compliment um, Lewis's theory, you know, in the woods, they did say there's burnt trees yeah. and shit. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So, and we know how DeLorean works. If you put a DeLorean yeah, in, in the end shot instead of a spaceship, someone did it on YouTube. Do you think that you could watch the whole film and it would make sense? Genuinely, yes. <laughs> Genuinely, yes. We're in the fifties, and we're you in. Like, watch what, would the, what would the noise be though? Wouldn't the noise be like Marty like arguing with Doc or something? <laughs> yeah. Come on, Doc! <laughs> gotta get back. It's like Everett. We've got a noise. Patch it through, Doc. Doc. Duck! <laughs> I don't know what it is, Everett. <laughs> and then you're gonna Billy have Billy calling call it being like, in. "We saw a <laughs> we saw a DeLorean and we didn't know what was going on." Um, that is a great theory. I that is throwing a spanner in the works. Sparrow in the I'm gonna go with still for Arrow Sparrow is the TV yeah. on just TV on landed the game. <laughs> it was it was yeah. far fetched ah. until TV on, and then yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you, you brought really it home with that. It's like Louis would have really landed if it had been a DeLorean at the end. We would have yeah. been like, oh my God, how did that So close, home? so close. I'm going to re-edit it. In the 2021 <laughs> iWood standings, Sparrow currently is in the lead. An early lead. Sparrow, how does it, how does it feel? Lead. Post-win, how does it feel? It feels great. Yeah, I've got to put up my CV. <laughs> yeah, you're interviewing for a job. You're like, so we do this thing called iWood on this pod ID? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i want just uh, we're really here for your engineering experience more than anything yeah <laughs> yeah but i've really got to tell you about this iWood um, thing that i won the other night <laughs> just out of curiosity who won last ones we've never really judged them before Shit, but you... let's just say i won all of them oh so you guys just accepted it as we didn't have a good. winner last week but it probably should be will or louis but well, we can't it really can't really it. be me because Will went first. But hey, he's not here now, so I'll take I'll it. I'll tell you what, we'll give yeah. Louis a point, which puts Louis and Sparrow in a draw. Guys, how are you feeling? <laughs> well, I took that personally. I feel, like, I feel a bit worse now. I wanted solo lead. All right, Ben, as we've got to up our game next episode. Dom, are you keeping a score at these then? I am. No, usually I'm just kind of like, I'll just wing it, I'll just do it at night. Be, I've got to say, Avocados on the Road almost deserves half a point. <laughs> Avocados. It almost deserves. Do you know what? It's going on. We're giving it half. We're giving it half a point. Ben has got half a point. Does the winner get a prize at the end of the year? Yeah, we should do a prize at the end of the year. We should do a. Um... Well, hopefully we'll see each other by the end of the year. But that can be the know. prize. A bouquet. <laughs> whoever, win, whoever wins gets to see everyone else in person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got it. Whoever, yeah. whoever wins, if it's not me, I'll buy them Alien Three on DVD. The loser Ooh. gets Alien Three on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this snippet should be sent to David Finch. <laughs> Loser of this competition wins a DVD of your film. It's like, your debut what? film, you fuck. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I feel like we've delved back into the 1950s uh, as radio hosts and given this a good whirl. I feel like my berries have been razzed. What about you guys? Well, you guys have definitely razzed my berries. Loose lips. You feel like you've been loose... Lips. Louis loose lips learns my lips are looser than they've ever been memorable parts from this episode does include shooting arrow sparrows bullseye with TV on TV on oh, TV, TV on is potentially yeah. the best I would we have had this year we've had this Did year you actually consciously it's look at that on. and be like is it TV on <laughs> or was it just like we just spaced uh, out in the middle of the night and just like shit it's I don't know how you got on. to that but however you got to it you got to bring your, bring that game for every iWod that's all I'm saying bring that game bring that game and bring the um, uh, 
the yeah. Christmas game, whatever that was. Sounds like we should all get in our spaceships and fly out of this fictional city. And Louis can get... I'm getting in the DeLorean. <laughs> yeah, you guys I, roll I, cool. I, yeah, you're doing the DeLorean. <laughs> Me and Sparrow will get it back in the CGI sources that don't quite work. I'm not going near that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. Can't trust it. All right, yeah. so it is uh, It's goodbye bye from Ben as whooping y'all. Yeah, I'll see you. It's goodbye from Shooting Arrow Sparrow. Adios. And it's goodbye from Louis Lips Lips Lunts. Howdy doody. And it's goodbye from Dom Dropping Bombs, all the way from this podcast that isn't in a location right now. It's just virtual. <laughs> <laughs> Sign out for WOTW. Sign out. <laughs>